joy it is to be with you. Thank you so much for that special music. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, looking at a few verses here in this very important portion of God's Word. Thanks so much, Pastor Cochran, for the invitation to come and minister the Word of God. Thanks, Brother Sinclair, for hosting or having and leading such a wonderful uh, annual conference here for the mission. And it is such a delight to be here. And we're so excited. Our church is, our family is. This is a highlight for our family every year. And uh, most of these uh, uh, related Baptist world pastors and things like that know that I always bring my family even to the spring meetings and uh, at least somebody. And I'm so glad to be able to, that I didn't have to drive very far this year. Very thankful for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, on February 7th, 2021, quarterback Tom Brady of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won his record 7th Super Bowl. And he, uh, it's really an amazing accomplishment. And for five of them, he was awarded as the Super Bowl MVP. Over the course of his 20 plus year career, he was given the title of MVP of the entire National Football League several times, three times. For 15 years, he played in the league's Pro Bowl as an all-star. His awards are too many for me to list tonight, but it includes things like Sports Illustrated, Sportsman of the Year in 2005, 2021. He holds a whopping eight different quarterback records in the NFL. He is a very gifted athlete for sure. And that giftedness has garnered him incredible attention from the media even in his now retirement. And I don't know that you folks from Alabama would know much about that guy because Alabama is all about college football, right? That's what I learned when I moved here. But... For this guy, all the attention he gets, it's led to him being called something. It's this. He's called the GOAT. The GOAT. Do you know what that stands for? The greatest of all time. Right. The greatest. You see, folks, in sports, to be a gifted person, an exceptionally gifted athlete, that means he's a great person. On October 5th, 2011, there was a gifted businessman, an entrepreneur who died. He was the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Apple. He was um, also the co-founder of Pixar Animation Studios. He was on the board of directors at Walt Disney he oversaw the development of the iMac, the iPod, the uh, iPhone, the iPad, iTunes, and all of that company's retail stores. And when Apple announced his death, his biography jumped from number 424 on Amazon's list to number one. And of course, the man I'm talking about, his name is what? Steve Jobs. And when Steve Jobs passed away, the media just gave him incredible attention. And you say, why? 
Why so much attention for Tom Brady, just a football player? Steve Jobs, why so much attention to these guys? Because they're gifted people. And in business, a gifted person is a great person. And in the sports world, the gifted sports figures are great people. They're considered that way. And we just naturally assume that the gifted people in society are the great people. But here's the question for you tonight. How about in the church? What about in the kingdom of God? How about in, uh, uh, according to what our Lord values? Is it true that gifted people, they're the great ones in the kingdom of God? Well, that's exactly what the Christians thought in the church of Corinth. And by the way, that's one of the reasons the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians. You know, I asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, immediately know what kind of chapter this is. It is a lovely chapter that's always tempting to, for we're always tempted to forget that there's a context to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But it really is just one step in which Paul is trying to correct the Corinthians' view on spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a standalone treatise on love. Paul is trying to do something with these people. He's trying to correct something in their thinking. You see, the Corinthian people, they thought that the gifted people out there, you know, spiritual gifts, fabulous gifts, personally and outwardly, they thought those ones were the really great people. And they thought that if you were someone, then you had great spiritual gifts. And that if you didn't have great spiritual gifts, I thought you were just no one. So all through 1 Corinthians 12, Paul has to talk about who is actually the giver of these spiritual gifts. He talks about why the spiritual gifts are given He talks about how they all relate to the body of Christ. That's chapter 12. And then in chapter 14, Paul has to correct their thinking on that uh, that spiritual gift called tongues. Because they were thinking that the greatest gift was tongues. But if you were to look at 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, you would see Paul says, no, no, the greatest gift is actually prophecy. But the Corinthians were all about tongues because that gift, no doubt, was one of the most spectacular gifts in the early church. Do you remember the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2? Remember what happened there? People could speak languages that they never studied. Pretty exciting, I think. And if I was there that day in Corinth, if I had that gift, the people there in the church of Corinth would look at me and say, wow, he's a great person because he has a great gift. He can speak in tongues. And we all know that in the church, gifted people, they're the great people. But Paul is saying, no, Don't be thinking that way. He says at the end of chapter 12, covet earnestly the best 
gifts. Now, folks, in chapter 12, verse 28, what are the best gifts? Notice chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. Uh, I'll read it here for you. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, and here is this laundry list of different spiritual gifts that God gives to His church. And Paul is saying here at the end of chapter 12 that you guys are all about tongues. But that's actually last on my list of importance. You shouldn't assume, he says, that they're really gifted people, that they're the great ones. He's saying that you shouldn't assume that the great people out there, that, that they're great because they have great giftedness. You shouldn't assume that if you have a great gift, he says, don't assume that that makes you a great person in the eyes of God. That's what he's talking about here. Paul is just showing that their order is off and that their entire mentality is off. And he wants to correct this in our vision tonight too. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Can you look at that one with me? Verse 31 says this right at the end, Yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now let me make it clear. Paul is not saying you either choose being gifted or you choose a more excellent way. He's not putting them opposite of each other. What Paul is saying here is that gifts are good. Desire the best spiritual gifts that God gives. But there is something in life that's more important than gifts, because gifts do not make a great person. Giftedness does not make you a successful person. And you ask me, Pastor Nation, what makes a great person then? What's the greater evidence of a truly spiritual person in the church? A, a, a truly spiritual great person in the kingdom of God. Well, Paul tells us here in chapter 13 what makes a person great. It's love. Theme for this conference, compassion. It's not gifts, but love. Over a hundred years ago, Scottish biologist and writer of religious literature Henry Drummond wrote a little pamphlet entitled The Greatest Thing in All the World. Now, Henry Drummond had some problems theologically. There were some things he didn't understand about the Scriptures. D.L. Moody was a close friend of his. He used to say that Henry Drummond had some difficulties. But one thing about Mr. Drummond he did understand is that love is the greatest thing in all the world. And he wrote this little pamphlet about this topic. And within 30 years of his death, that little essay that he wrote 
It had, had been uh, printed nearly half a million times, translated into many languages, sent around the world. Amazing response to that. Why? Why the impact of such a little writing on such a little word? Well, obviously, folks, because universally around the world, deep down, people understand that there is something much greater than money. Deep down, they understand that there's something greater than power, prestige, business, something greater even than giftedness, all those temporal and material things. And Paul is teaching us from this passage that there is something, it is kind of intangible. It's nearly undefinable. There is something that is nevertheless powerful. It's the love that expands a soul. It's love that makes a man all that God intended for him to be. There is something the scripture calls love. And without this compassion, the soul, any soul, is shriveled. And it's warped. And it never reaches what God has intended for him. But with love, life is worthwhile. These verses make it clear that the absence of love... In 1 Corinthians 13, the absence of love cannot be compensated for by any superabundance of gifts or ministry. Nothing can replace love. And this isn't just for missionaries tonight. Nothing can replace that. In other words, this thing the apostle is writing of here, get it, is indispensable in the Christian community. As a matter of fact, can I take your mind's eye to Matthew chapter 22? There, a Pharisee approached the Lord Jesus and asked what the greatest commandment of the law was. And the, Lord, and the Lord's answer was that the greatest commandment of all the Old Testament's mass of prohibition and all the imperatives in the Old Testament, the greatest command is to love. God first, others second. Can I suggest to the people of God tonight that this is your greatest obligation? Love. And in John chapter 13, Jesus went on to say that love is the universal evidence that we are His disciples by this. You remember this verse? By this shall all men know that ye are my, what? disciples that ye have loved one for another. In other words, the primary evidence that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ is not the way you dress. The primary evidence that you are a disciple of Christ is not the music you listen to or the style of worship that you have in your church. The primary evidence that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ Above all those other issues is that ye love one another as I have loved 
you as Jesus has loved you. And I want to submit to you tonight that loving as Jesus has loved is something that no lost person can ever do. And that's why it's a distinguishing mark of the believer, love. Henry Drummond wrote, Love is the universal language. It may take you years to speak, to learn to speak Chinese, or one of the dialects of India, but from the day that you land, and he's, and he's speaking as a missionary, the day you land, that language of love, understood by all, will pour forth an unconscious eloquence. So what makes a great person? You starting to understand now? What makes uh, a person truly great in the kingdom of God? What's the greater evidence of a truly spiritual person in the church? Folks, it's love. It's not gifts, but love. You're in 1 Corinthians 13. Notice verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it, it profiteth me nothing. Very quickly tonight, what did Paul want these believers to understand? Three simple things. First of all, sensational gifts are nothing without love. It's not wrong to have sensational gifts, spectacular gifts, but they are nothing without love. Verse 1 says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. The word tongues there is the word for languages. It's not the idea that, that, that you're a good speaker and you, you do well in front of others and you do well with impromptu speaking and you're just a natural up front. That's not the idea at all. This is talking about the gift of tongues. The ability to speak, speak languages that you have never studied. Even if you speak in the tongues, he says in verse 1, of angels, without love, you are nothing. Now people debate, do angels actually have a special language that they speak? Well, the Bible isn't clear on that. Some people think so. You ask, well, if they don't, then what is he referring to in verse 1? Well, notice carefully the text. Tongues of angels, I believe, would be parallel to what he says in verses 2 and 3. He, he's just using extreme examples. In verse 2, he talks about faith that would move mountains. In verse 3, he says, give all my goods to feed the poor. What's Paul's point here? Paul is saying, I could have the gift of tongues, something very sensational. Can you imagine if somebody walked in here, Pastor Cochran gets up right now and starts speaking in tongues, all right? He's going to garner some attention, isn't he? Somebody's going to come and tackle him, I think. I mean, uh, some sensational gift like that. I could have that kind of gift, but if I don't have love, look at the end of verse 1. I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
You ask, what does that mean? That means that tongues minus love equals noise. Really annoying noise. I have three brothers. They're mostly wonderful guys. Well, my own brother thinks he's so funny. When my kids were little for Christmas, he buys all my kids a metal pot and a metal spoon. So you know what this is talking about. Sounding brass, literally translated a noisy gong. Think maybe of one of my children running through the house, hitting that big metal pot with a big metal spoon. And the the annoying noise that would result, that's the effect of a gong. So according to Paul, if I have great gifts and talents that I exercise in the local church here, man, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter what you do here. You say, wow, love is, uh, is important then. Yeah, tell me about it. It's so important that Paul tells us about it. He continues on this treatise in verse 4 where Paul describes love with a series of adjectives. Just, just cast your eyes there. Verse 4. You see that? Charity suffereth long. In other words, it's patient. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and on it goes. That's what love looks like. That's what greatness looks like. What Paul is saying is I could have the greatest sensational spiritual gifts among you, but if I do not, verse 4, exercise patience, if I am not, verse 4, kind, if I am not selfless, then, then my gift and my talent comes across as only annoying noise. There are unafraid Christians in the sports world most notably, um, someone like Tim Tebow. Some of you have probably heard of him. He's a professing Christian who talks often about John 3.16. He loves to openly give honor to God. He, he's bold. We want to ask the question, is he a great man? And the answer to that is obviously what? I don't know. I don't know if he is or not. Say, seriously? Really? Yeah, folks, he's a gifted man. That guy is very athletic. He has the ability to interact with people in ways that are wonderful. He's got a boldness with the gospel that is great. But is he a spiritual man? I don't know. You say, well, how would you know? Then I would say this. Does he love? You ask, well, what would that look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. When he is with his teammates or when he is with his family, if he is a patient man, he's a great man. If he, when he's with his family or his teammates, he lacks patience, you know what he is? He's a noisy gong. No matter how gifted he is. He's annoying. He's a grating sound. He's not a spiritual man. And this is how we need to be thinking about Christian greatness and the people that we honor the people that we respect in in the kingdom of God. 
sensational gifts, they're only annoying without love. Notice verse 2. Spiritual gifts are nothing without love. Now I put the word spiritual in quotes here because all of these gifts that we're talking about are spiritual gifts. But in verse 1, that's kind of the sensational, spectacular gifts. The guy who can do great things, speak in tongues. You know, that's kind of a wow thing. But you come to verse 2. In verse 2 are the deeply spiritual gifts. These are the deep people. Notice verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now it would take me a long time to get into what prophecy really is here and it's really beyond the scope of our time tonight. But let me suggest that to have the gift of prophecy would be similar, now not identical, but similar. It would be similar to the pastor-teacher role today, the person who proclaims truth. I do think it was different back then because they were actually receiving truth back then as well as proclaiming it. We as pastors, missionary pastors, only proclaim truth of the Scriptures. But what is Paul saying big picture, folks? In the vernacular, in verse 2, he says, <coughs> he says, though I'm a great preacher, and some of you have favorite preachers, you've got guys that you listen to, some of them are here, some of, them, some of the board members, I just love to hear them preach. And you've got your favorite preacher and you listen to them on the internet. and They're just so good with their speech. It seems like God is using them and they're just blessed and they have the ability to present a text of Scripture and you just sit back and you listen and you say, wow, what a blessing! And you take that digital file, and you MP3 or whatever, and you email it to your friends and you're so blessed by that guy's preaching. Yes! That guy's gifted. But is he great? Is he a spiritual man? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. We'd have to go down to verse 4 and see how he stacks up with verse 4 and following where it says, love is suffering long. It's patient. And I, I'd want to say, is that preacher a patient man? When he is with his wife, when he is with his children, that preacher... When he is with his church, when he is at work, is he a patient man? Because if he's a patient man and kind and, 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 and selfless on down through the list of chapter 13, then he knows how to love. And he's a great man. A spiritual man. A man may have great gifts, but just because he's gifted doesn't mean that he is a spiritual man or a great man in the eyes of God. Next it says in verse 2, he says, uh, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Here's a guy who understands all mysteries. Now in the Bible, a mystery is something in the Old Testament that wasn't clearly revealed until the New Testament. And there are just those people out there in church, you know, they just have great insight into the Bible and they just understand hard things. And even knowledge. They understand the world 
in which we live. Maybe this is a teacher in the church or someone who's just very diligent in studying the Bible. He's not a gifted preacher per se, but maybe an author or a teacher who is just impressive. Somebody you know is impressive with his grasp on things. And we say, wow, what a gifted person. He is gifted. But our question is, is he a spiritual man? Is he a great man? And the answer is, we don't know. Because we have to ask the question, does he love? Because if he loves, he'll be patient because love is patient. And if he's a patient man, he's a great man. If he's not patient, he's not a great man because love is patient. You understand what Paul is saying here? Next in verse 2. Paul writes, if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Nothing. Now this, this faith here in verse 2, it doesn't refer to saving faith because this is in the context of spiritual giftedness. This must refer to some kind of special gift of faith, you know, doing things that the average person would not or could not do. I want to use an illustration of a man, but I'm not going to tell you who it is because my goal is to encourage you this evening, not discourage you. But a very famous missionary was used of the Lord to do some pretty incredible things. He showed such faith. He did some things that the average believer would never dream of doing. Going to very hard places, involved in very hard ministry. And yet the man turned out to be so unkind and so impatient that he couldn't keep any of his workers. Everybody who went to go work with him never lasted long because he lacked love. Before I knew this, I thought this man was a great man because he was a missionary who did great things since he had great faith. You see, folks, I used to think that if you had great faith, you got to be a great man. But I read about this man, and it troubled me. And I thought to myself, oh, this place where I'm reading about this guy, this must be a liberal book. I thought, this must be a fine example of revisionist history right here. This can't be right. And I did some looking around only to find out that it was true, and actually the guy was probably much worse. And my heart sunk, because I used to think, that when a person was gifted with great faith, that meant he must of necessity been a great spiritual man. Paul continues to a third point in verse 3. Notice verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Note well this third point, folks. Selfless gifts are nothing without love. There are people out there who are great benefactors. They give huge amounts of money to charity, to all sorts of Christian efforts, yet they themselves live on very little. And we learn about that, and we read about that, and we hear that testimony, and we say, wow, that's incredible what they're able to do. And you know, folks, it is incredible. That is a great gift. And we think, that must mean he is a great man as well. No, it doesn't. It means he's a gifted man. Because love is the true sign of 
spirituality and greatness in the kingdom of God. Paul goes on to an extreme example now in verse 3. He says in verse 3, And though I give my body to be burned. That's a reference to a what? A martyr, right? A martyr. A person who would actually give his life for the gospel. And we say, wow, that's like the pinnacle. That's got to be a great man who does something like that. And I hear somebody say that and I sit back and I think, well, maybe... Maybe he's a great man. I'd want to ask his wife. I'd want to ask his family members, does he love? Is he patient? Is he kind? Is he selfless? Does he think of others before himself? Because if he is none of those things, he doesn't love. And if he doesn't love, Paul in the Bible says, even a martyr who does not love, is nothing. This is big stuff here. He's no great man. He's no spiritual man. And I don't know if you've ever understood this, but I've not always. I've gone through life thinking that the gifted people, man, they are the great people. The people, the men who plant big churches and the ones who do incredible things in missions. And people that maybe get invited to speak before huge crowds. Those, those guys, they must be great people. But what I'm realizing this evening from 1 Corinthians 13 in a conference with the theme of compassion is that no, those are gifted people. Just because a person is gifted does not mean they are great in the eyes of God. We have to ask the question, do they love? Because without love, they are nothing. Do you love? I want to make two closing, simple applications tonight. Some of you in this congregation, you are just simply gifted people. I mean, that's just you. You want to do it? You can do it. You have that capacity. I mean, in school, you got A's all the time. Musically, you excel. You're up there. You climbed maybe the corporate ladder to a very comfortable position. You're on your way up further. Some of you young people in this room tonight, everybody already knows that unless you go off and do something really, really dumb... You're going to be in a key position somewhere someday because God has gifted you to go very far. You will, young person, as you should, as you use God's gift in your life. But may I remind you gifted people out there, just because you have great gifts does not mean that you are any great person. Or spiritual. Paul says without love. I mean how much smaller do you get than the word nothing? Can you get lower than nothing? Less than nothing? Paul. You can get scholarship after scholarship. And win contests. And be significant in the business world. The missions world. Your name can be known. 
and yet without love, you're nothing. But I think most of us fall into this other category. There are many here that you maybe don't have great gift. Every believer is gifted by God. Yours are maybe a little more subtle, perhaps. I don't know. In school, you worked very hard and you scraped out C minus minuses the second time through. <laughs> Musically, you still remember the day you told your piano teacher that you were quitting and it was the first time you ever saw her smile. You're not lazy, but you see others at the office or at church with great gifts in this place, and it's easy to sit back, and it's, and it's easy to think, Lord, what about me? I don't have these great gifts. I'm not one of these incredible people. What about me? Then to you, I say that this chapter ought to be very encouraging to you, because do you know what real greatness is? You know what real spirituality is? You want to know what real success is? It's not gifts. It's love. Just love. Just love people. Missions, business world, church ministry. Just love. Say, Pastor, what's that look like? It looks like verse 4. Verse 4, being patient, being kind, being selfless, being having thick skin, thinking the best, being gentle. And the truth is, folks, that by God's grace, you can all be that way. God can help you all to be this way, regardless of your salary or your GPA or your abilities, regardless of anything else in life. You can be patient and kind and selfless. You can be gentle in all these things Paul talks about here. And to the degree that you are those things, you're a great person. You're a spiritual person. And these are things that are available to every single person in the body of Christ. You don't have to be gifted to love. In the world... Great people are gifted people, but not in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, you see, it's all about love. Henry Drummond wrote his experience of going into the heart of Africa and encountering people who had known David Livingston. Drummond wrote this, quote, It's the man who is the missionary. And not his words. His character is his message. In the heart of Africa, among the Great Lakes, I have come across black men and women who remember the only white man they ever saw, David Livingston. And as you cross Livingston's footsteps in that dark continent, men's faces light up as they speak of that kind doctor who passed there years ago. He writes this. They didn't understand him, but they did feel the love that beat in his heart. And Drummond writes to us readers, take into your new sphere of labor. Where are you going to be going to labor for the Lord? What are you going out tomorrow to do? 
He says, take into your new sphere of labor, where you mean, he writes, to lay down your life. Take there that simple charm, and your life work will succeed. He says, you can take nothing greater, and you need nothing less. In fact, it's not worthwhile going if you take anything less, Drummond writes. You may take every accomplishment. You may be braced for every sacrifice. But if you give your body to be burned and have not love, it will profit you and the cross of Christ nothing. And on May 1st, 1873, David Livingston's natives found him kneeling by his cot but passed into eternity. And they said, this is the body of an Englishman. And his body belongs in England. But his heart was in Africa. And it belongs here. They literally took out his heart and they buried it under a tree in the depths of Africa. And then they carried that body over 1,500 miles to the coast, put it on a ship for England that it might be buried there. Like it has been said, folks, it takes a heart to get a heart. And once people know that you have their best interest at heart, Paul writes, it profits you Are you great? Do you love? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share the Bible with all of our dear friends here. And we ask that you would correct our thinking that is so often skewed. Father, we want to think biblically, and the Bible taught us tonight to minimize great giftedness and maximize compassion. In this way, may we demonstrate that we truly are your disciples and so fulfill the greatest commandments of the law. Thank you for this time. Please bless now these moments of invitation. For Jesus' sake, amen. Will you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? I've asked Jessica if she would play that song, Love As I Loved, just as a song of invitation. My heart was pricked tonight. Our pride can get the better of us if we're not careful. kind of love do you have toward your family, your co-workers, those in your church, for the people you minister to, as it come out in your life as we think about that this in the invitation tonight, to love as Christ loved, to give as Christ gave, would you have that heart, sometimes ministering, serving not careful can make us bitter we're hurt 
like for her to play through one more time. If God's convicted your heart, go, take this opportunity and go to Him and seek forgiveness. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, Jesus came to die on the cross for you. He gave Himself, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Maybe you were invited this evening and you came to the service. You don't know Jesus Christ's love not accepted the gift of salvation if you have more questions we'd love to share with you how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven it's a decision that you need to make Thank you. You can look this way. Thank you for your attention to the Word of God tonight. Come back tomorrow evening. Uh, ladies, don't forget 9.15 tomorrow here in the auditorium if you can enjoy the testimony time. And I want to mention here from after the uh, supper tonight, we had plenty of um, banana pudding. And uh, so my wife put a lot of love into that. And you can't really save, save any of it. So if you would like some, there's on, on a table, there's some plates and you can dish some out if you'd like to stay, just fellowship a little bit if we keep it into the gym. But even for the church people, if you'd like, uh, we'll just eat it till it's gone. And, uh, but let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for that opportunity tonight that we can hear and be challenged from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Lord, prick our hearts, um, convict us. Uh, Lord, as we look into the mirror of God's word, uh, Lord, as this church at Corinth who got a big head, and uh, got their priorities all out of whack and lost their love for one another, for you, and for the lost. And it was evident in this, in this church at Corinth with the divisiveness and um, the groups that were putting one gift over the other. And Paul, in a stern rebuke, pointed them to agape, love, compassion, mercy, patience, and kindness. And Lord, would we be reminded as well in the busyness of ministry, in the busyness of doing a lot of things, preaching and teaching and uh, music and um, writing and all the different things that many of these missionaries are involved in, uh, traveling and, and projects that, uh, and programs that can be a part of of, of serving you uh, on the field and in the church. Lord, if we do all of those things and we don't have love, is it truly making an impact for the cause of Christ? Or is it just about us and what we can do? Lord, thank you for the reminder tonight. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless our fellowship even after the service. And uh, tomorrow and the last meeting tomorrow evening, and Lord, would we uh, just continue to contemplate and think about and uh, meditate on the message tonight. And if there is someone this evening, either in the children's program or in the, in the meeting tonight, that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, would you convict their heart about this love that Christ came and gave himself for them. 
and they can accept. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.